Good afternoon. This is the weekly wrap for Saturday, October 28th. Well, the core market fell back about 14 cents this week, closing at 4.80 a bushel. Beans fell down 5 cents, closing at 12.97. The wheat market closed down 10 cents in Chicago, closing at 5.75, and Kansas City down 27 cents, closing at 6.43. Cotton was up on the week, almost two full cents, closing at 84.38. And the crude oil market closed down $2.5 a barrel, closing at 85.54. Managed money for the week didn't move uh, much of their positions around at all. They added back just 8,000 contracts of corn, but still putting them short 100,000 contracts of corn. For soybeans, they bought back 9,000 contracts, moving that small short position now to a small long position of just 7,000 contracts. In wheat, they bought back 11,000 contracts, still showing a massive short position of 136,000 contracts uh, among all three classes of wheat. In cotton, they reduced their long position by 6,000 contracts, now putting them long just a mere 27,000 contracts. Export sales for the week were really quite good for corn. They were in the top end of expectations. For beans, they were in the top end of expectations as well. Same thing with soybean meal. The world continues to be short soybean meal, with Argentinian crush continuing to slow dramatically. Wheat, we were right in the middle of expectations. And cotton had a very nice recovery for the week, showing 186,000 bales sold for the week. Harvest progress showed a big improvement for soybeans. We're now at 76% harvested versus the five-year average at 76%, so running well above pace there. Corn, we're at 59% harvested versus the five-year average at 54. And then for cotton, we're at 41% harvested, right on target with the average of 39%. Moving over to the macro picture here, China uh, continues to show uh, two different stories. We've got the real estate developers uh, financially in big trouble. Uh, with large losses being taken by the banks and by the government, but yet the, the individuals, the consumer, are doing very well. Uh, commercial flight activity is now well above pre-pandemic levels, indicating that the Chinese economy and the consumer there is back uh, quite strong. The Federal Reserve in the United States here, uh, we got some data for them. We got a very strong GDP, the gross domestic product, Uh, The market was looking for 4.5%, and we came in at 4.9%. So this is an extraordinarily strong GDP print showing that the U.S. economy is doing very, very well. Again, we remain in the sweet spot where even though we've raised rates, the consumer is still spending and the economy is still expanding quite nicely. Thank you. The PCE, which is the, uh, the the inflation metric that the Fed, that's their favorite metric, came in at 3.7%. So that's the lowest now since May of 2021, so going a year and a half back. So the Fed can feel confident, at least in their own minds, that they're starting to you know tackle this inflation problem. The market is no longer pricing in a rate hike for November at all. That's down to about 0%. So it's, uh, the market seems to be pricing in uh, the strong likelihood that the rate hike cycle is over for the Fed. The open-ended question now going forward is when will the Fed cut rates? The verbal cues we keep getting from all the Fed governors that parade around every week is to not anticipate any cuts anytime soon. 
The adage you'll keep hearing in the business news is higher for longer. But right now, the Fed rate is at 5.3%, and with inflation at 3.7%, that differential of 1.6% is actually quite restrictive, and probably the most restrictive since 2007, so that's going back 16 years. The big concern for the market remains the federal government and their deficit and their spending. We added $600 billion of new debt last month alone. Unfortunately, if you annualize that, that's over $7 trillion in one year. That's not likely, but it is still on the back burner. The market is trying to digest this uh, battle between the Federal Reserve that is fighting inflation with high interest rates and reducing liquidity and the federal government spending that's spiraling out of control that's adding that's actually adding to inflation so the question is who wins or which which uh, you know a- entity forces action and i think more and more uh, analysts are coming out with the idea that as the spending continues to spiral out of control especially now that we may be involved in another war in the middle east that the fed may be forced to cut rates sooner to allow that budget deficit to not consume uh, the federal government. But we'll keep an eye on that development. Uh, The Russian-Ukraine war. On Thursday, Ukraine announced in the morning suspension of their use of the Baltic uh, or the Black Sea corridor, their self-proclaimed opening, even though Russia has not approved it. Uh, Ukraine shut it down under threats of mines and mined activity. Uh, but uh, the, by that afternoon, they had uh, dis, disavowed that news source and, and said that it never happened. And so here we go with more numbness by the market of any activity uh, related to the Ukraine-Russian crisis there and grain shipments. But the facts are that we are now down 28% on grain shipments out of Ukraine over the last four months. Remember, Russia shut that corridor down or that agreement down in July. So grain shipments are down dramatically out of the Ukraine as a result of that. Uh, So we're down 28% over the last four months, and we're down 53% over the last two years for grain shipments out of Ukraine. And at some point, that is going to matter. But right now, the market uh, doesn't consider it it a problem. The war in Israel and Palestine has stalled out, uh, while the initial... uh, uh, horror of the the attack in Israel has worn off, and now Israel is responding with heavy, heavy bombing in Gaza, uh, and they have but they have delayed their uh, attack into uh, Gaza and the uh, the ground troops that they'll be bringing in. It is theoretically supposed to get started this weekend. Um, the U.S. has asked for time to get our assets in position: boats, ships, planes, uh, personnel. Uh, In fact, uh, earlier in the week, the U.S. uh, shot and took out some military installations in Syria. These were Hamas fighters that were backed um, by uh, Iranians in Syria. And so, you know, this we are now, unfortunately, directly involved in the war in the Middle East with U.S. troops and personnel and equipment. Where the dynamic gets hairy, and we've talked about this, is not for crude oil, is not so much the war itself between Israel and Syria um, and uh, and Palestine, but uh, whether Iran gets involved or not. If they do, they have three to four million barrels of infrastructure uh, that they produce every year that will threaten the balance sheet. So far, that has not happened. 
But the other important item to keep an eye on is what they call the Straits of Hormuz. It's in the, it's in the Persian Gulf, and it's a very, very narrow stretch of, of sea that you, Iranians control. And they, if they have threatened that if they are brought into this war, they would mine that area, basically blocking off all oil transports coming out of there. Right now, about 25% of the world's crude oil goes through that narrow little strait, and about 30% of the world's liquefied natural gas pass through this area that at its narrowest point is only about 25 miles wide. And so where the threat becomes and, and could, you know, there's just no way to know whether Iran decides to mine that area and shut that corridor down, you would see crude oil prices uh, vault quite quickly. So not only does crude oil have its own macro tightening of the balance sheet, but it's got this geopolitical risk that continues to boil below the surface. And so right now, the speculators, while taking on a show-me stance, and they're not getting involved in this market because they keep selling every rally, uh, you know, we just have to keep an eye on, on how quickly this war may or may not escalate. The U.S. weather here, turning to that, has turned cooler and wetter. In fact, there's large bouts of snow in the Dakotas that are coming, and so that's going to stall harvest over the next week or two. The South American weather pattern remains relatively locked in with excessive rain in southern Brazil and Paraguay. Some 20 inches a month is what they're averaging. Uh, way, you know, flooding areas uh, in, in that southern growing area. Meanwhile, in the central and northern parts of Brazil, they remain quite hot, quite dry. And while that's good for getting the crop planted early on, um, you know, we're starting to show signs of stress in Mato Grosso and planting progress has actually stalled out quite dramatically here this last week. Uh, forecast by a number of meteorologists are starting to turn to expect that this may stay locked in for at least the next 60 to 90 days. And so if that does in central and northern Brazil, um, you know, ends up with a very hot and dry spell, you can start walking those yields back. The, wet, the rain forecasts are for improvements in, you know, historically, November, uh, Brazil gets a little bit of rain, and then December they get quite a bit more. So the market is not too worried about it at the moment. But if, if this hot and dry spell continues through November and into December, which would be the most critical month, the, the soybean market would be forced to put in some large premiums as we move the crop size down from a record 163 million metric tons that is projected by the USDA and their uh, Brazil's own forecast. Remember last year they did 155. So if we end up start walking those yields down in November, December, you're going to have to start putting some serious premiums back in the soybean market. Argentina, for its part, continues to have very hit or miss rainfall totals there as well. Remember, they've been battling a drought for the last two years. And while some areas get rain, a lot of areas have not. And they continue to run well above normal temperatures as well. From a marketing perspective, uh, fundamental balance sheets remain very tight for soybeans, very tight for cotton. And my view is that they're probably only going to get tighter going into uh, the beginning of next year as we finalize the yields where I think soybeans will be down a little bit again. Cotton will be down quite a bit. And so while the market is uh, concerned about export demand at the moment, uh, but if we take another you know, uh, 
you know, million bales off the cotton crop and another half a bushel to maybe bushel yield off the beans, we won't have the product to export. And so that worry will flip from, um, you know, too little demand to, you know, too much demand quite quickly. Corn admittedly has a loose balance sheet if you consider the USDA's yields, but that could flip quite quickly if the if they end up forcing to change their yields going into the end of the year or January. So if we take three to five bushels off that, it actually uh, doesn't get really tight, but it snugs it up enough to flip the narrative from an overly oppressive balance sheet to a tightening balance sheet. The wheat uh, market for Kansas City and Minneapolis wheat remains very tight on its balance sheet but loose for Chicago, but with managed money, uh, with a massive sledgehammer, uh, basically completely you know, rendering the, the wheat market useless for any kind of trade. Uh, they have a firm lock on this market and, and will for a while here. The other thing to consider right now is that the cost of money, I believe, uh, is putting more pressure on harvest supplies. I think there were a number of producers around the United States that had every intention of holding, but I think the cost of money and the spreads are forcing more grain on the market during harvest. And I think that's what's kept the, the harvest low from getting formed and us digging out of this, taking longer than I expected. I think part of the answer to that, not the whole answer, is tied to the cost of money. So what are my expectations on pricing? Really nothing has changed. I still expect once harvest is complete for corn, we end up trickling through that $5 area and trading in that 5 to 550 area. For soybeans get the harvest cleaned up and we trickle up to 14 uh, and if we end up with a, you know a, a tightening of the balance sheet on that we end up to the 14 15 dollar area on beans by the end of the year for cotton again once we get the harvest complete sometime by the end of November we move to 90 95 cents and then the wheat market be looking for Chicago to bounce to that seven dollar area Kansas City to the eight dollar area for Q1, as we get final confirmation of the yields, as we get um, you know, global uh, insecurity on crude oil and the volatility related to that, as we get dryness in uh, South America, you know, we, we, we could start digesting better prices than that. Uh, di- domestically here, uh, we have tight enough balance sheets to get beans to $15, $16 by Q1 of next year, cotton to a dollar a pound. Wheat to that $7.50, $8 area in Chicago. Kansas City to that $8.50, $9 area. And then corn hold between that $5.50 and $6 area by the end of Q1. Of course, the accelerators to these numbers that we have no clue about and how it happens would be crude oil. How does the war progress? Does Iran get involved? If they do, you know, do we do we end up, you know, blowing into that 100, 110, 120 dollar area for crude oil? Uh, that would be quite bullish and, and maybe push some of these targets higher than that. And then, of course, South America, if for some reason that drought locks in and we end up having to walk those yields down on, on corn and beans in South America, you could see higher prices than what I'm showing on the Q1. But time will tell. We'll have to wait to see how these variables play out. Okay, that's the update. Hope you have a wonderful weekend. These are my opinions and not those of ADM or ADMIS.